0: Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. We have commit and we have liftoff at 213. We uh, have uh, 5, 7, 7, 7, pounds of thrust, and it has cleared the tower. Prepare yourself for a world of science. Who says... Good morning, everybody. Conley here, KVLF. It is the science nights in the morning, just after 10 o'clock. And uh, you know what? We have all the nights assembled. Dr. Adaban Badachargi <laughs> in the house here. And we also have Dr. Thomas Schiller all the way from Australia
1: down under. Sean Dram. What's up, Sean? Hey, guys. What's happening? Not much. Just just recovering from Thanksgiving. Still digesting pounds and pounds of turkey and dressing and all that good stuff. Oh, so I, I might fall asleep at some point during this. <laughs> yeah, turkey is like the Ambien of
0: any kind of dinner plate.
1: Yeah, that's total BS. That's a myth, by the way. I was going yeah. to say, I, I don't gonna, know. Yeah, they say it's tri- it's the tryptophan in the turkey that makes you go to sleep. There's very mm-hmm. little tryptophan in turkey. It's, well, when
0: you stuff it full of z before you put it in, that that might
1: be the problem. Yeah, Yeah, I it's, think so. yeah it's the other stuff that you eat that's full of tryptophan. Anything uh, that's got dairy or anything like that. Well there you go. We figured it out. So that's we what we're talking about today. We're talking. We're talking about tryptophan, right? No, and no. It, I, I think we're talking about the uh, deep sleep. Deep sleep. Deep sleep. Deep sleep. I've Good. been having a few of those. After okay. That turkey. Yeah. Or deep sea. Deep sea that's is yeah, what we're talking CFC. about. Deep
0: so, sea. So uh, now, yeah. now let me offer a confession to everybody here.
2: Oh my God, Conley! Are you going to say something?
0: I am going to say something. Oh, I'm oh. going to say. Uh, I'm terrified of the ocean. I am terrified because
1: it's the unknown. It's so hard to explore. I thought you were going to finally tell us that you loved us.
2: Yes. I mean, that hates in your eyes, Carly. I do. I do love y'all. I do love love you. You know the word for that? What? The fear of being scared of the ocean? Yeah. What? Talosophobia. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Deep waters. That's the actual
0: nice. fear. Well, I mean, I'm not
2: so, uh, yeah. like I wouldn't be scared like
0: swimming in it or like you know deep diving. I really wouldn't be scared being out in it. But what I am scared of is like what might be lurking underneath. There's a, a terrifying image I've had in my memory just. of like a well a small boat with this giant, huge thing coming underneath it, and you just don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. It's like whoa! I mean that that could be anywhere yeah. in the
1: o- when you're in the ocean. It's terrifying. Yes, there, and there is some terrifying stuff out in the ocean. I'm sure Sean will will tell us all about that. But but I I've, I've, we've had probably half a dozen episodes where we talk about the scary stuff that's lived in the oceans throughout the past, you know, 400 million years.
2: But yeah. uh, if I uh, if the recollection is true or so, but those the things that are in the deep sea. Here's a great part. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to come out to the ocean surface to attack Conley. That we can guarantee because (laughs) they would most probably not survive up in the surface. Am I not saying the truth here, Sean? Like the one that is... That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. Some of them, uh, the deeper you go, a lot of these deep sea fishes are um, so adapted to super, uh, you know, high pressure environments of the deep ocean that they can't even make it to the surface without... Uh, you know the pre- pressure differential killing them. Yeah. Um, so it would require Conley to go down yeah. deep.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Does that sound well, good, Conley? Whole... You want to go? You want to go down to? Uh, like, I'll, you know, I'll give it a Twenty-five thousand feet below, and and yeah. see what's down there that can pull you apart. I'll make you a
0: deal. As long as I can see some aliens, I'm cool. <laughs> They all look well, like aliens look out like there. Aliens. <laughs> they yeah, will look yeah. like aliens. So, so how far does light go down into the ocean? Like,
2: how, how deep does it go?
3: So the deepest... All the way to the bottom.
2: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> all the way. I was going to yeah. say, uh, the deepest is the Mariana Trench, right? 11.2 mm-hmm. kilometers so that would be the deepest Yeah. Challenge what's, deep.
3: that, what's that What's that? in feet for all of us uh, West Texans who don't um, know about Columbia? A gazillion,
2: trezillion, quadrillion feet?
3: <laughs> yeah. Is that yeah. what it is? It's, it's
1: <laughs> deeper than Mount Everest is yes. high. Yeah, well,
3: 35,000 35, feet, give or take. Yeah. Uh, th- and that's taller. Uh, that's deeper than Mount Everest.
2: Yeah, that's the height where like uh, jet flens fly, like 30, 30, 30 yeah. to 36,000. Yeah, yeah. So
3: pretty we, pretty crazy, dude. Yeah. So what's that in
2: miles? Eight, mi- eight eight miles, I think. I would, eight, uh, miles yeah. deep. Wow. eight miles, yeah. Wow,
0: golly. See, I, I would think that the ocean would be a lot deeper, frankly, but okay, cool, eight miles, but... it's but, uh, <laughs> yeah. not, yeah. not impressed. it's yeah. <laughs> not impressed no. at all. Yeah. So yeah,
2: let me <laughs> try to let me, let me impress you more. Um, it is said, uh, like I think both Thomas and uh, Sean will back me up on this, is uh, that... We know more about moon than we know about the underneath the, what uh, what lies in the ocean floor. Am I not right on that? Like that's what yeah, I've read. Been yeah. That's been said. Of common, uh, yeah. I think the, the
3: phrase is that we know more about the surface of the moon than we know about what's on the bottom of the ocean floor. Yeah. Um, and I think we've mapped we've mapped the ocean floor yeah. real well, so that might that that phrase might be kind of dated in that respect. But it is true that we. We don't really. We haven't sampled very well at the bottom mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the life forms that are there. Uh, it, we have very little. You know, occasionally we get good footage of this stuff from from you know submersibles going down, but it's it's poorly known. That 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 part's still true. Uh, there's nothing alive on the moon surface, so in that respect, it's, it's not really true, but uh, yeah, it, it's still, I think it still holds, which is pretty interesting. I'll bet they, they used to say that probably back when the ocean floor was not even mapped mm-hmm. and now it is. Yeah. Uh, but it's still, it still kind of rings true.
1: Yeah. But, around the, the, the early 1900s, and this is kind of rooted in the foundation of science fiction. Mm-hmm. If you really look at what was being written back then, and I'm deviating a little bit from the, actual science here but um if you look at the novels and the sort of uh you know serials and short stories that were published back then everyone was curious and terrified about what was in the deep parts of the ocean and they still really really are Mm -hmm. i think mainly about the biology the things that are living down there but so if if you go to google earth free software that you can download um and play around with they have the the surface mapped out in three dimensions mm-hmm. on Google Earth. You can dive beneath the surface of the ocean and see all of the major trenches, the the mid-ocean
2: ridges, everything. Uh, so as for the, what you're saying, the geology is pretty, pretty well mapped out, mm-hmm. right? But what is not mapped out is the life uh, yeah. that we find there. We don't really know uh, uh, much about it. And so if we step back a little, the first... so. What I know from my rudimentary knowledge of geology and biology, there are like three layers of the ocean. You have uh, the mesoplegic or something, which is the top layer, and then you have mm-hmm. the, another layer, and then you have the lowermost layer of the yeah, ocean. Yeah,
1: the the bathial, yeah. the abyssal, and abyssal. The, the, yeah, the hadial. Hadial. Ha- Hades. Yeah. Hades? All the way down to Hades? Yeah, that's, 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 zone. that's way, way down there. That's... Uh, I can't remember where the cut. I think it might be eight thousand feet, something like that. But 8, 000, that where, like the four 8, 000, horse the four horsemen. That's where that that's where, that's where Cthulhu hangs out. Eight thousand yeah. meters, oh, meters, 8, yeah. not feet. Yeah, eight thousand meters. We love yeah. crafty um, on honest. Yeah, but these are all depth determined sort of levels, and um, we use them sometimes in geology, but they're mainly used in sort of oceanographic study, yeah. really, because they have to do with depth, not necessarily um, the. Physiography or the, the bathymetry, the term we use for the ocean floor. Um, we, we talk about them quite a bit as we relate them to kind of uh, biology or paleobiology, where different organisms will live. Um, the main reason in, in just kind of general geology that we talk about the different depth horizons is um, because we have a kind of threshold that we call the, the CCD at, at a certain depth ranging between 5,000, 6,000 feet, where um, below that level, um, calcium carbonate will dissolve. Okay. So it affects how deposition happens, basically. But, you know, to, to kind of introduce the, the deep sea setting that we're going to be talking about, it's kind of important to discuss kind of the broader picture, I think. Um, and geology has a lot to do with that, specifically tectonics, plate tectonics. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this because we've
2: covered it, but we've covered it. Yeah, we've done multiple the whole things, show, yeah, yeah, multiple
1: times. But really the, the shape and the form of the ocean floor has a lot to do with how the tectonic plates are interacting and how they're moving. You know, at certain places, the plates are rifting apart, they're spreading apart. At certain places, they're colliding. Certain places, they're moving against each other. Um... And all of those different scenarios kind of facilitate different um, geomorphic features on the ocean floor. Mm. So when you push two plates together, you drive up the, the surface rocks. When you pull them apart, you create valleys, you create rifts. Um, and all of this is happening both on the continents and beneath the surface of the ocean.
0: When they get pulled apart, does the ocean like technically, quote unquote, get a lot deeper? Um, Are there undiscovered? I mean, of course, there'd be undiscovered places, it, but would that be deeper
1: than you'd say fun, normal? Well, f- funny enough, it's not where they're where they're pulling apart that it's becoming deeper. It's where they're where they're colliding. Oh. So where they're where, where you have a spreading center is what we call it, mm-hmm. like at the mid oceanic Ridge, like the Mid-Atlantic Ridge. Right. Um, you're essentially having new rock forming kind of constantly, forcing. The tectonic plates away from each other, so it's this kind of recycling process you're not mm. removing rock you're not adding rock um, uh, kind of to build it up it's not accumulating, but it's just forcing the plates apart kind of like a conveyor mm. now where you you make the ocean progressively deeper are at are at subduction zones where you have usually a uh, oceanic plate, so the thin oceanic crust either diving beneath another body of oceanic crust or a body of continental crust. When it comes to the Marianas Trench, the deepest part of the world, you have um, a piece of oceanic crust that's diving beneath another piece of oceanic crust. And as it's doing so, it's kind of pulling down the the other tectonic plate. And
0: what you're doing with your hands, you're kind of like, you know, making a little... Uh, downward uh, yeah i''m making a little heart yeah a little heart but that that that's kind of you know how this is described, so for our listeners um could you say that there's a whole mountain there's a whole different universe under the ocean that kind of resembles the mountain ranges we see on top of the um it's it's it's
1: pretty different, and the reason yeah, the reason is because of the the nature of the oceanic crust mm Um, When we look at the tectonic plates, we have plates that are roofed by continental crust, in part, and parts of the plates that are roofed by oceanic crust. And again, this is something we've talked about several times, so I'll be real quick about it, but the continental crust is thicker and it's less dense. The oceanic crust is much thinner and more dense. It's made out of a different type of rock. Hmm. So um, when you have two oceanic plates collide or an oceanic and a continental plate collide, um, one of those plates tends to dip beneath the other. When it's a continent to an ocean, oceanic plate, the ocean, oceanic plate, because it's denser, is going to is going to dip beneath the, the continental plate. Yeah. And, you know, different things happen. Uh, generally speaking, what happens is volcanism. Because you're taking a plate and you're driving it deep within the earth where temperature is increased. <laughs> a lot yeah. of friction. Yeah. Well, there's, there's friction. There's, there's all sorts of processes. You've got fluids. You've got interaction with, with fluids. You have depth and pressure and all these factors. Yeah. But ultimately what it does is it generates heat and molten rock that will rise up to the surface and erupt. So in the case where you have an oceanic plate subducting beneath a continental plate... That generates volcanoes on the continent Mm. where you have an oceanic plate collide beneath and, and subduct beneath another oceanic plate. You have volcanoes that are out in the middle of the ocean. You get what's called a volcanic island arc. Wow, like what you see in Indonesia, like Java, Sumatra, and places like that.
0: Yeah, and I noticed you're still making a heart with your hands. Are you trying to tell me something? <laughs> <We> yeah. All,
1: <laughs> it's, it's, it's like yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to describe these things the without doing sign language and writing things on the board. But
2: <laughs> lots of expression.
1: <laughs> yeah, if we if we have our, our, our hardcore science nights listeners, they've they've heard me jabber about this a hundred times.
2: So, yeah. uh, and as this thing is subducting and everything, you know, one thing uh, I I think Sean will also Come back to this later about the life forms there's magma being released right so like this is like magma uh, like hot magma coming out so keep that in mind we will talk about that Mm -hmm. i assume um in that so um so the main thing for the, the for the physics point of view is what is interesting as you keep going down the pressure um pressure increases right so you have the amount of water keeps on increasing on top of you so um I think the rule of thumb is, I think you descend every 10 meters, you have 10 or 20 meters, I believe, one atmosphere kind of uh, worth of uh, pressure increases. I don't know exact one, but by the time you're down in the bottom um, of the uh, ocean floor, like in that kind of like 10,000 meter level, uh, the pressure is over 1,000 times that what we feel. 1,000 times what we and feel is here. And this
1: coming from... All directions, on all, all directions. Surfaces. All surfaces. Yeah. So,
2: Hydrostatic pressure. So it's not just from the top you're feeling, it's going to be crushing you from all sides. Wow. Well, so, and I think we will also go over some missions. So, we'll, which uh, now this kind of illustrates the point is like why, like if you're going to like send a manned or an unmanned mission, that's why we say this is still a mystery is because doing at that level surviving a pressure of that you need to be highly specialized to do your equipment so your equipment needs to be highly specialized so uh to survive that amount of pressure because uh, you got to
1: be able to hold your breath for a long long time too
2: and yeah so <laughs> really long time yeah. <laughs> uh, those special lungs i guess yeah, yeah so <laughs> i'll give it a shot <gasps> yeah okay All right.
0: Okay. Um, And he's dead. He's dead. All right. I
2: I saw Cthulhu, guys. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So that happens. And so it's pretty hard. So you have to be specialized. uh, uh, And another thing is very interesting that I uh, found out as I was looking. It's like over the zone of this deep sea, things are overall very uniform. It doesn't, like, change like the – For example, the ocean water is not going to change a whole lot over like 1,000 or 2,000 meters. The amount of salt in that water, the temperature is not going to change a whole lot. And it's the light overall is going to remain the same. So the conditions that you're looking at is going to be uniform throughout the world. It's not like it's going to see a mm-hmm. huge, like a variety. Yes, you're going to see a geomorphological variety, sure. But overall, the the physical, there's not going to be any physical differences uh, mm-hmm. from places to places. So yeah. what it gives you is uh, this interesting thing is if you notice something out like not something, something that's very radically different or even a little bit different, then it will become something weird is going on there. So you might want to go check it out at that level, what is mm-hmm. going to happen. So otherwise, yeah. So, uh, and uh, it's uh, also because uh, the first thing is, like the temperature is pretty uniform because no light reaches down there. So there's no light. Nope. Abs- no light. Well, okay, wait. Here's a
0: question, though. But when you get to a certain level, the... Uh I guess, biology of the deep, deep ocean, they start producing their own light, right? Some do, some don't. Yeah, but, they, I mean, mm-hmm. some do. Yeah, some do. Bioluminescence, yes, yeah, some that, do. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And so the biology is creating a
2: form of light that would kind of affect things like the sun wouldn't, right? Uh I'll allow Sean to take over but what I was going to say bioluminescence is not because it's down below in the deep sea we have uh, organisms up in the ocean level and on the surface which produce bioluminescence right you have fireflies and stuff like that which have that sure so, uh, I'm uh, so it's not that uh, uh, they are yes yeah, sure they are deep sea there's no lights to produced by bioluminescence, uh, bioluminescence but uh, uh, but that is not only reason they will have that that's one of them am I not ri- right in saying that, yeah, yeah, you're right in
3: saying that you know bioluminescence isn't a, peculiar to the you know non-light zone, yeah, down da- down in the deep sea, because we it does turn up um, on the surface, uh, like you said, it is something that you know you notice and it is pretty common in these zones, and and, and one thing that's really interesting is always I always thought was cool about bioluminescence is that. Um, it's not actually produced by, by the fish itself. It's produced by uh, you know microorganisms that mm. the fish is carrying around in specialized organs, which is just, and that, that goes for any bioluminescent organism you've ever heard of, from fireflies to anglerfish that use a little glowy object on a stalk to lure in prey. Um, uh, so those, those little organs, those photophores, have tiny little uh, microorganisms that are capable of generating light, you know, chemically without producing corresponding levels of heat, which you usually would have, you know, hand in hand. That oh, is, so it's so you know, fascinating. Though, <clears throat> yeah. It's a symbiotic relationship between <throat> microorganisms and whatever the host organism is almost like a parasitic relationship, except it benefits both. And so it therefore becomes mutualistic. Hmm.
2: Yeah, it's very interesting too. I didn't know that fireflies also had microorganisms to produce yeah. light, and it's not yeah, by them. so, Like yeah,
3: yeah. There's there's no you know unlike you know you could kind of think of another example of like you know we've talked about electric fishes before, mm-hmm. and they've got specialized organs that create you know but, electrical discharges without heat, uh, corresponding heat. But in this case, you know they that, that's like a super highly modified muscle fiber that can do that. In this case, it's nothing like that. It's it's just like a little. Uh, you know, vessel for for these microorganisms, and it's the microorganisms that do the work.
0: And it's really kind Um, of like a chemical reaction. We're about to head to a break, but this is so fascinating that we can look deep down (laughs) in the earth and find and discover things like this, and it's like as above, so below almost. Yep.
3: Hey, everybody, it's Science Nights in the morning. Sean Graham here, and we're talking about the deep sea. And we, where we left off, we were talking about bioluminescence. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about some of the other cool adaptations that uh, fish in the deep sea have. And, and there's really, there's kind of three main areas um, where the deep sea fish kind of have their, their, like we were talking about the different zones and how they're kind of segregated by depth the geologists talk about the mesopelagic bathypelagic uh, and down to the abyssopelagic and hadian zone way down deep and those those uh zones are kind of defined ocean oceanographically oceanographically also by how far light penetrates and that kind of determines what kind of fish you're going to have uh the mesopelagic zone is like the farthest limit where light can penetrate Mm -hmm. um they call it you know, the common names for these, is, it, awesomely, are like the twilight zone, and below that, below about you know 300 or, uh, three hundred or three thousand feet, meters uh, or feet. Yeah, it's it's. It, I'm I'm going to do feet, so that okay. um, people don't have to Convert. rush to their Google calculator. <laughs> but okay. um, they below that light doesn't penetrate, and it, it becomes like the midnight zone where it's constantly dark, and uh, the fishes. And that kind of mesopelagic zone are kind of really interesting because some of them will actually um, kind of float back and forth uh, mm-hmm. between the super dark zone. And then at night, they actually will migrate. It's one of the most important migrations in life. It's this, whole, it's this vertical migration from the, the twilight zone up into the zone where during the daytime there's actually light. This was really interesting. It was discovered uh, that these fishes were doing this during World War II when they were starting to use sonar to map to, to the first maps of the ocean floor. And they were getting these crazy readings where at night, the ocean floor would be a, a couple thousand feet higher than it was during the daytime. Uh, they, they discovered this deep sea sonar scatter zone where the sonar was getting scattered by something. It wasn't penetrating to the true seafloor. They were getting this phantom bottom, and they couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. And what they had discovered was this gigantic population of mesopelagic fish. And the sonar was bouncing off thousands and thousands and thousands and and really, truly billions and trillions of individual little swim bladders of these fish. So they inflate their swim bladder. Most fish have a swim bladder. It's this like inflatable sack in their body cavity that allows them to maintain neutral buoyancy. Because what you don't want to do if you're a fish is spend all your time like fighting, uh, trying to stay buoyant. Well, uh, hold hold you know, on. You know, you know what that's like. You, know, you go in the swimming pool and you have to kind of tread water. Every time you breathe in, you, you know, you, you, you're buoyant. Every time you breathe out, you're, you're sinking. And fish have that same problem. If you're going to be neutrally buoyant, you know one of the adaptations you have is having this little inflatable sac.
0: <laughs> well, wait, hold on. How how do they uh, get the air to inflate that little uh, little bladder sac? Yeah. of
3: in that fun- <laughs> Yeah, it's physiologically they pull it out of their own blood. Oh, yeah. Cool. So so some of the wow. advanced fishes advanced fishes can actually do this physiologically, where they essentially, you know, their bloodstream has a, a remarkable kind of netting of capillaries where they can pull individual gas, you know, molecules out of their blood and inflate the sac. Now, more other fish can actually gulp air and inflate the sac directly, but of course these fish can't do that because they're at you know 3,000. 4,000 feet. And they're not going to go to the surface to gulp air. When you see like catfish doing that at your local pond, often that's what they're doing. They're gulping air to inflate their swim bladder, but these guys can just do it physiologically. And so they inflate this thing kind of slowly and they migrate up. And during World War II, they're finding the sea bottom coming at them <laughs> at night and then dro- dropping again. This is one of the, and, and when Anurban was talking about the the ocean floor kind of having a very uh, similar conditions worldwide, similar temperatures, light penetration, nutrients, th- that means that this habitat is the largest habitat on Earth. right Mm -hmm. it's it's pretty static across the continents across the ocean basins and you have pretty much the same fish occurring across this habitat this makes these fish the most abundant vertebrates on earth they 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 don't even use the word trillions to describe how many there are Mm -hmm. they use the word quadrillions
2: which is like uh
3: uh, I don't even know what that is. So you have a billion... <laughs> One billion million... A
2: <laughs> million... No, it's, a, it's a, million, it a million billion. a million trillion? No, it's a million billion. A million billion. are okay. okay. million, million, million billion, yeah. These are, not ter- these
1: are only terms we've heard on the playground. Yes, <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> I, was, I was having yeah. flashbacks
2: to third get, grade. When
3: we get beyond the triple dog dare.
2: <laughs> yeah, so yeah. we say billion billion. Yeah. <laughs>
3: these things these things you've probably never heard of them they're called um there's a couple different kinds but mostly it's the same like species across the world's oceans the bristle (laughs) mouths yeah and lanternfish. wow Um, so i'm
1: I'm assuming they're yeah. they're floating up there to feed off of plankton and stuff like that that lives up in That's the That's right. Phoenix. That's right.
3: They're going up there to feed every night. Um and uh yeah, they you know most of the deep sea fishes are feeding on you know there's nothing there's no photosynthesis going on down there so there's no productivity, there's no plants. Right. So they're not there's not like an ecosystem built on plants down there instead they're all eating detritus. So but these mesopelagic fish Since they migrate up into the zone where there is light penetration during the day, they're able to get at some of that food, some of that primary productivity that's produced by plankton um, during the daytime.
0: So I have to ask you now, we are talking, you know, we just got finished uh, doing third grade banter. Yeah. But if they're, you know, inflating their little uh, sack there, their bladder
3: sack, do they Mm -hmm. excrete it at, at all? Yeah, so they have, They would have to, um, you know, they inflate it at night to migrate up, and they do it passively. All they got to do is just kind of, they do waste energy because this process, the physiological process of kind of p- pulling gas out of their blood right. doesn't cost nothing. But at least by just, in, all they got to do is inflate that swim bladder, and they'll just passively float upwards. And then all they got to do is deflate it to return. And they, and they I'm, just kind of toot, the they kinda toot the defla- in the water. Yeah, the deflation is probably easier than inflation, and it probably involves a burp or a fart. Yeah, well, and that's t- what you were getting at. That's
0: kind of what. I, well, that's <laughs> what I was getting at. But in all seriousness, though, when you're talking about the abundance of this, these, you know, these tiny little organisms, uh, wouldn't that affect some kind of pH level in the in the ocean, or
1: or some kind of environmental change? The pu level. <laughs> okay yeah i'm sure i'm sure too i apologize everyone i've been hanging oh, out with was, dad over the past couple that of days.
3: was actually i love that one that was a good one. <laughs> so yeah the, these these fishes are super important you know the, just the biomass of these fish you know um would take up a huge amount of various chemi- chemicals from the ocean and um so this and, would be just pure it would
1: be pretty much oxygen that they'd be excreting it wouldn't be like like methane and and all that nasty stuff that that we, we mammals do. excrete and yeah. larger birds. yeah yeah
3: i'm sure yeah, yeah. i'm so just that talking could about oxygenate like the water the, essentially you know that that i think of it in ter- i'm almost thinking about it in geological terms is this layer of like sequestered carbon and mm-hmm. calcium and all that stuff and if all this thing, these things just suddenly you know died you know you would have all that released into the ocean mm-hmm. but Wow. You know, it's so. It's I'm sure it's a heavy influence on nutrient cycling yeah, that's, in the ocean.
1: Yeah, and that that is an interesting point because if they are, in part, feeding on detritus at lower levels, then they're sequestering carbon themselves, and not mm-hmm. allowing it to to get to the seafloor. Yeah.
2: And, yeah, and I was going to say, on top of that, like yeah, there is a lot of uh, animals uh, which feed on these um, uh, fishes yes. when they rise up. Uh, mm-hmm. So, with as they're right. rising
3: up, that's right. There's a lot it's of a cool. It's a cool yeah. way to kind of transfer uh, nutrients and pr- primary productivity down to the lower levels. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's not just a steady rain of, of detritus mm-hmm. down to the bottom. If it were that it kind of wouldn't be as interesting and it wouldn't support as much uh, much biomass. Mm-hmm. Instead, these guys are kind of transferring back and forth. And this is just the first zone. So yeah. if you go mm-hmm. below that zone, you get kind of a, a slightly different crew that hover at these kind of intermediate depths that aren't quite as, as, uh, as deep or as shallow. And these are some of these things you might have seen on like Planet Earth or the ocean uh, documentaries. These are the ones that have like the, the um, bioluminescent lures. Yeah. These mm. are the fish that look real weird and flabby because uh, they, don't, they don't have to travel back and forth up to, the, to yeah. the shallow layer. So they just kind of remain hovering and kind of succumb to the pressures and just become these gelatinous blobs. And uh. there's, these are the fishes you see that have, like, the giant mouths. Yeah, and the nose mm-hmm. hanging over yeah, the mouth. It's yeah. like and a yeah, cartoon character. Yeah. Used to show yeah, up the on the ang- National the- Enquirer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. And shrimps, like, there's like- a lot of shrimps in that level, mm-hmm. too. So don't forget shrimps. That's right. Yeah, yeah. There's.
3: I- I'm focusing here on fishes, yeah. but there's, you know, there's all these other invertebrates that yeah. live in the same kind of environment. But you get the anglerfish, the mm-hmm. gulper eels, these things that can eat things uh, larger than their own bodies and then kind of store them and, and, you know, uh, live off of those things for months because this might be the only meal they come across. Wow. And then the, the bottom fishes in the abyssal zone again become kind of, um, more straightforward, stronger with a, a tighter skeleton, uh, living in deep pressures, and they're going to be feeding on just the very, you know, the stuff that does rain down, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. They're not, And a lot of times these are going to be just feeding strictly on detritus. The premium here is on detecting prey in a very low light environment where they're not seeing much food. So in these cases, you'll get these fishes that have, they, they, in many cases, they look a lot like blind cave fish. They don't have eyes at all. And they have um, their lateral line system, which can detect vibrations in the water, will be uh, some of the mo- most best developed of any fish. In some cases, the lateral line organs are actually on little bitty stalks that stick up off of the skin so that they can really just any kind of movement down there, uh, they can detect and try to go and, and eat, some, mm-hmm. eat something that's moving. Yeah, wow. I
1: think the, the another cool thing about all this, you know, from a historical sort of standpoint, not, not ancient history or anything, but until the technology was developed, the, you know, the submersibles that people could actually delve down into these depths, we had very little clue as to what was down there. And I think occasionally one of these really bizarre fishes or something would wash up on the beach. And if you can imagine, when you look at these things, I'm sure everyone listening has has at least seen one of these documentaries that Sean mentioned. (laughs) They're really, really bizarre, alien-looking things. And if you could put yourself... Describe it. Well, you know, at at the kind of moderate depths, you have things with gigantic eyes, you know, that are trying to take in as much light as possible. Things that, you know, their eyes are 25% of the surface of their body and weird stuff like that. Yeah. And then these things that are are essentially blind and, and... and yeah, they live at greater depth. Things that you don't see. You're not going to pull. And they up have on really
0: your... long, like kind of uh, sensors all over. Like yeah, the alien-looking thing. Yeah,
2: yeah. Now I was, I was yeah. just, just imagining if... the
0: abyssal
1: zone.
2: Yeah, that's that's at really deep and, and great depth. And you have some of those f- weird-looking fishes which have huge mouth. So some of those yeah. are in there. Mm-hmm. So, so so some that...
3: some of the ones that you should I I, I would like to mention. Um, there's some that use bioluminescence uh, near the eyes that actually project light directionally that are called flashlight fishes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they actually, they use them to, search, wow. like you would use a flashlight to search around for prey. They, they, it's amazing.
0: It, it's um, kind of a signal though. Wouldn't it be a signal? And wouldn't, uh... well, In some
3: cases, yeah. In a lot of cases, they're just using them for signaling. They're, they can use them for camouflage. So wow. a lot of them have the photophores on the bottom of their belly. So that fish looking up uh, get confused and they, they, they see the light and they just kind of think it's the light of the surface instead oh, of the fish. Wow. So it actually disguises the fish. Some use them for sexual selection. Mm-hmm. They, they make little species specific, you know, flashing to attract mates. Uh, but a lot of times I mean, the, the flashlight fishes are actually using it like a searchlight, mm. which is just nuts. Here's another one. The brown snout spookfish has two pairs of eyes. Two pairs. It's, it's two two pairs. It's evolved two pairs of eyes. One more or less from scratch where it has a pair of eyes on the top of its head mm-hmm. uh, and a pair of eyes looking straight down and it can see up and down simultaneously. There's, uh, a, uh, there's not
1: a single other thing I that I can think of that's evolved yeah. two eyes. That's. I mean, now, a so not, not, vertebrate, from vertebrate, yeah.
3: not from scratch, yeah, because um, there are, you know, th- there are some where the eye has become kind of split in half to look up and down on the water surface. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whirly gig beetles that you've seen swimming around, you know, swamps or even, you know, desert pools. Those guys have two pairs of eyes, but you can kind of see how they they evolved them at, at, from an eye that basically split in half mm-hmm. and migrated and there's a fish that has kind of split pupils like that for seeing above and below the surface film of the water but this thing has essentially built a second pair of eyes from scratch from nothing yeah um and and one eye can you know look up and one eye look down and you know one of them is kind of specialized for detecting bioluminescence so it's it, just off the
0: chain. It's similar to like if you take just like a regular fish, you know, like a like a rainbow trout, like a trout or something, oh, you got and, and you put him. giant Gucci glasses on it and it <laughs> like, you know, it raises it up above its like on its forehead, you know? And that's kind of what the spook fish looks like. It looks like it has yeah. a giant pair of gucci like looking sunglasses on its forehead and then it has the little eyes underneath really cool really interesting
3: i think honor would have a better chance at explaining how like you can tell it's one one set is completely different from the other yeah because the, the way that it uses light is totally different than pretty much any other vertebrate eye like it it acts like a pinhole camera and i've like I start my eyes start glazing over whenever I look at these kind of physical uh, explanations of how light is focused and that sort of thing. I'm like, what is going on? But anyway, it works. It focuses light totally differently than any other vertebrate eye, and that gives you the clue that this thing is kind of brand new under the sun.
2: Yeah, this is a I I never knew um, knew of this fish at all. It's just uh, it seems like it has uh, very interesting eyes, and I was just looking at it. And it uses them first of all it's gonna use like a lens to which normally every eye does it. Right. right. Like to That's focus. the usual way. Yeah, usual yeah. way. And then it has a secondary eye which does not use a lens to do it. It Mm, uses
3: that's the the pinhole camera. And of course, when you say pinhole camera in 1935, everyone would know what you're talking about.
2: Yeah, and then I
3: don't know what a pinhole
2: camera is. Um, How it works? Yeah, and there's like crystals which would which will reflect the light back and stuff. So it will use that. And what I'm more surprised is like. This is not like compound eyes and insects, right? This is nothing no, to do uh, with that. And it's just no. how, how would they process when the image like comes into them like yeah, yeah that's, 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 that's amazing the, to the me. Processing,
3: like, the processing part I, I think I could get my head around because it, it would work almost like uh, pit vipers. Um, you know pit vipers have regular eyes and then they have the pit organ, which receives infrared information okay and then both both of those sources of information are end up projecting to the exact same part of the brain hmm. the optic tectum and that part of the brain process the processes them simultaneously so it gives you an overlapping infrared yeah visual but, image. But like that, that is i would I'm give you uh, um i would tell you probably this is the same thing as happening here you yeah, so know it's not the, so image, it's, the image that this brain is is figuring is not like oh I got to look up first then down first. No no no. I'm not... I, I wonder what's up, wonder what's No, it's like at the same time this fish is experiencing up like, and down.
2: Like yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's uh, for yeah. us uh, like it's as if like you're seeing the sky and the ground at the same time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
3: That's what yes. the fish would be seeing. So I'm
2: going to I'm going to
0: throw I'm going to call an audible. We're about to go into a commercial break. <laughs> what what happens what happens when this thing starts daydreaming? <laughs> Yeah, mull that over. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> if it's daydreaming and it's seeing two things at the same, yeah, well, like that, that's just. Here, a complete, I've, got, I've, got, I've,
1: got, I've got the answer to that question. But it doesn't you know what day is. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay, there you go. It's just dreamer.
0: It's just a dreamer. It's just a dreamer. Just a lonely okay. Dreamer. Well, we're about to go to another commercial break. Now, when we come back, Old Conley is going to be putting on the uh, metallic helmet. You know. Thought and, you we're gonna and say we're going to we're, we're going to dive we're going to dive all the way down. We're going to try to reach Hades. Let's go okay. after the break. All right everybody, we are back. Well, all right. Just imagine something. We've been talking about the ocean floor, the deep sea level and and the environment, the the organisms that live in this deep sea. Now, just imagine being on on the top of the water. Your boy Conley up there I'm 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 screwing on this metallic, you know, the old time metallic helmet that has like the di- cage. The cage. Helmet, yeah. It's a diving helmet, but it has like the cage, yeah. uh-huh. and, and it's all metal and it's huge. And so I got that on. I got my skin tight speedos on, and I am like playing with the dolphins at the top level. Okay, where we're di- diving You've deep. Put a, you put a lot of thought into this yes, imagery, I,
1: haven't you? Connelly?
0: I real well, I think I'm getting <laughs> over my fear. Okay, I'm getting over my fear. I'm challenging it. I'm going deep i'm i'm starting to see the spook fish now we're at the y- You, would have, you level. would have already imploded yeah uh, <laughs> i am in v r okay you're v r okay. okay okay and, and i'm seeing the spook fish we're in the abyssal level okay right? okay now
1: where's hades What at what point do i start seeing the haiti uh the hades level? so yeah you get you get down into the the Hadal zone as you get into like the ocean trenches way 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 deep and I don't know. I don't, I know very little about the biology. I don't know if anyone knows a lot about the biology because— that,
2: That's exactly the point. Nobody—because the number of missions done to those ocean floors, like manned or unmanned, is yeah. very few. Wow. Is it's it's you can count on the number of hands if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, Sean Thomas, right? Do, do do we know what the pressure is like when you get down? To oh, the... it's like over one thousand times the pressure that we face on the surface of mm-hmm. the earth. So so it's immense. So first, so of, and the rushed. temperature, the temperature is decreasing. Temperature, uh, but it's still zero degrees Celsius or somewhere around mm-hmm. that. It's still cold, but the water is not frozen. Right, it's still mm-hmm. moving around. Water freezes at a much higher temperature, uh, much lower. When you increase the pressure. It will freeze at a lower temperature. Yeah. yeah. So, oh. yeah. So, it will freeze at a lower temperature. So, so. we don't know, really. There's still a I mean, lot of well, mystery. I mean, we've,
3: we've been there, and, and been, there are – it would be really expensive for anybody to do a ton of research down there. It does get done, but it's it's expensive. It's the kind of stuff that, you know, you need some serious, serious grant money. Um, and, you know, we should give a shout-out to the, the first expedition that got down there. I
2: love the name. What was this? I love the name yeah. of that person. Not yeah, Jacques so, Cousteau? No, 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 no. Oh. you love it even more. <laughs> Elon Musk? No. Jacques Picard. <laughs> Picard. Or you, Picard? Yeah, Picard? Yes. Really? Or did you have somebody, like, are you talking about Ross?
3: Which one are you talking no, about? No, no, that, that's the one. Yeah, oh, the okay. Trieste. Yeah. Um, yeah, they went to the bottom of the Mariana in, in what, 1960s? 19... Yeah. I want to say it was before everest was climbed 1960 to the
2: bottom 1960 everest that might be, yeah.
3: it's right around the same time it's kind of the heady days of uh of exploration like the last the last gasp of exploration mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. everest was climbed and and they made it to the bottom of the mariana um around the same time period built you know it's just a, a tin can that can withstand the pressure and they went down there uh it's pretty great uh, but I, yeah i bet they, Jacques Cousteau was pissed in. <laughs> they, they've gotten they go down to depths like that and they get the cool stuff they're getting now is a lot of, you know we've collected some of the fish that live down there, but you just have no idea what their lifestyles are like. because um, you, you they come up from the ocean they they're, they're already battered dead from the, the, yeah they're dead from the pressure so you, you never see what these things are up to and that, that's kind of the final frontier is getting videography of these animals alive. And wow. that's the kind of stuff they're they're getting now, and every now and then you'll see these great great quality videos of these ghostly images of some of these deep sea fishes and other invertebrates in in you know in the habitat doing their thing, and that's the kind of thing you can look forward to for the next you know thirty fifty years Wow, is you know the first footage of this beast hmm. doing this you know or maybe the discovery of something really phenomenal you know i've a i'm kind of holding out hope that there could be a living ostracoderm
1: yeah at the
0: bottom of the ocean okay what is a ostracoderm
1: yeah. yeah these are these are plated bony fishes that oh they can withstand yeah. the pressure potentially yeah well
3: they're, they're they've been extinct for what since the uh yeah. the devonian Yes. Yeah, so yeah. these it's a understand. super long shot these are jawless fishes Hmm. That are would be some of the earliest of you know our so ancestors. Devonian uh, you know. would be
2: what, like two fifty million years
1: ago? No, million? no, that's uh, Devonian. I can't, I can't remember. It's I'm
3: okay. not, a, I'm not yeah. a
1: geologist. Okay, he's <laughs> not yeah. yeah. a numbers guy. No, he's
3: a numbers he, guy. No, Numbers get mixed up. I specifically well, yeah, remember that thing. being on it, a it, test though. Yeah, it's oh. like three hundred fifty, four hundred million. Years. Yeah, so yeah, it yeah right like right. it would be like one of the most incredible living fossils <laughs> ever found. Okay. It would beat wow. anything that's been found yet, but mm-hmm. you never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. We, we, I, th- I think isn't James
1: Cameron like funding a lot of this deep sea? Research? James
3: Cameron is into this stuff. He's been. I want to say James he has Cameron been, has yes, been to yes. the Challenger Deep. Yes, mm-hmm.
2: 2012. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. he been yeah. There. yeah, he loves the deep because his. Well, a well
1: movie, he did yeah. that movie, The Abyss. Right? Abyss. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah.
3: right. That's right.
2: So
1: that's what's down there that is That an
3: amorphous. <laughs>
2: blob Lob. of mercury or whatever
3: <laughs> yeah. a, big, a big city state of underwater aliens yeah. that's all yeah. that's down there
2: and uh yeah so- here's
1: here's the real the real <laughs> kicker for me sorry to interrupt on her bun but well th- this is how i think about things you know we have this this snapshot of recent history and biology but when i think of things in deep geologic time you know fish have been around for a long 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 time and I always just wonder, and, and and this keeps me up at night really, is how much was living in these 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 environments throughout the the past you know five hundred million years? Because mm. there's weird stuff living down there now. Imagine what evolved over the course of that time and was living. Because there was weird stuff, and like Sean was describing in the Devonian, that was living at shallow depths,
2: mm.
1: and. I, I, it's just underneath, it's, like, yeah, yeah, it's one I of mean, those things. I, I and, think, about.
2: and most uh, chances are very high, we won't even know ever. Nope, yeah, chances are like, nope, that's, ever what, ever that's what that's what yeah. curses my dreams. And uh, one of the things we should touch upon is why are these explorations that important for us? Even think, let's not even forget and say, oh, it doesn't like what's the point in knowing this stuff. So, one of the things we have to talk about is underneath, really deep down, so pressures are extremely high, and there have been when. And we talked about all kind of organisms. And we have found microorganisms and stuff like that near the hydrothermal vents where so the temperature rises up. And there is no light coming out. And there is hydrogen sulfide gas coming out. So the temperature is kind of high. But the pressure is extremely high, too. So in that kind of conditions, we have life surviving. And the protein, the protein one of the proteins in our body like actin and stuff like that, they behave very differently than what we have. Uh, like in our own bodies. for And again, in our in the organisms down below, uh, we do not, um, what we don't have is um, unsaturated fats in their body. What they have is uh, saturated fats so that it can stay liquid for a long period of time. So there are a lot of, a lot of things that changes, how uh, like how the behavior of protein changes, how an animal evolves. Now, why am I saying all this? Because this gives us a clue that life can evolve in the harshest possible conditions that we cannot even think of surviving Mm -hmm. where we cannot. So these kind of animals are called extremophiles. And this gives us research, an idea, can life survive in other places which is not on Earth Mm -hmm. by studying them? And So this is one of the main key reasons Mm -hmm. is like, how extreme can we take um, our conditions can be? The one, of the,
3: one of those extremophiles, it wasn't a deep sea critter, but uh, one of those extremophiles had incredible uh, biomedical application. So an extremophile uh, bacteria found in hydrothermal vents, well, not hydrothermal vents, but hot springs in Yellowstone, well, um, and it enables us to uh, rapidly sequence DNA. Hmm. Uh, there, there's oh, wow. a process by which you you uh, heat and cool samples quickly and the DNA comes apart when it's hot and then comes back together when it cools. And if you have an enzyme that can reestablish the DNA, you know, uh, double helix under the hot conditions, you can do this crazy process called polymerase chain reaction, which is something mm-hmm. that they use. Uh, we've talked about it before. It's what enables you to test for COVID so fast. I mean, it's all over the place. Um, every, every lab in the country that works on DNA uses this technique. It's worth billions. And it's, it's, you can do it because of this uh, you know, enzyme found in the bacteria from the Yellowstone hot springs that is stable at temperatures that n- normally would boil any enzyme like that to, to bits.
2: I mean, it would boil a human being alive pretty much. It's yeah, like it, like hundred, it would yeah.
3: parboil you, and yet these bacteria can function at that temperature. And you can, you can take that enzyme – and use it for biotechnology, and literally it's worth billions that 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 technology has made uh, fortunes so it's, well, it's actually worth money.
0: you know it's very romantic to think that Mother Nature and the universal theory of biology has answered a lot of the questions that humans really desire to find out it's this pandora box that's uh trapped underneath the the deep dark unknown that
1: is yeah. uh well it, it it might help us answer the biggest question of all where did where did we come from oh yeah yeah this yeah. is all re- wow. it's all has to do with Be- theories
2: on the origin of of Be- life yeah amino acids oh too. my god, Be- because you're looking at temperatures when earth was formed right you're looking at extremely hot environment extremely acidic environment a lot of, uh, uh, you don't have free oxygen. So there is no photos- photosynthesis happening. And there's a lot of clouds and everything. So sunlight's not really coming through at all. So there's very extreme conditions. And still we have life. Like within, I think within uh, 400 million years, mm-hmm. life is there on Earth in terms of bacteria and stuff. So at that time, Earth was still not very stable. So life did survive. So to Well, lo- well
0: don't we share
2: uh, DNA with uh, some organisms that live inside of volcanoes
0: I remember reading a study about that. I mean, that. we share DNA with pretty much any kind of mm-hmm. living yeah, organism. So,
2: yeah. DNA but there is, is, is the genetic study.
3: code for all life on yeah, Earth. Yeah, There's yeah. nothing that doesn't... That doesn't share ours. So. It's oh, like, what okay. we, not, we share like 90% specific. Specific. with banana or if, something if like ever, that. If we ever found an organism that did it slightly differently, had a different genetic uh, system, mm-hmm. that would either be evidence of an alien <laughs> nice. or evidence of a separate origin of life on Earth. Wow. Wow. Ah, Either so one would be phenomenal. Yeah. If, tell you what, if you—I always tell my students—if you find that, you give it to me, and I'll describe <laughs> it. I, I, to I, me. I'll, I, I'll put
1: you in the acknowledgment.
3: Yes. <laughs> yeah, <at> all, <laughs> at at all. I thank
2: my students. I, I, for... t- I, and tell everybody that he or she is my favorite student ever. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. They'll be at the bottom of the et al. Col- yeah. column there. Okay. Well, that is our show. Uh, lots of beautiful and interesting things that we're exploring uh, and discovering uh, while we're having these conversations. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you all next week. And this is Science Nights in the Morning. Thanks for listening to this episode of Science Nights in the Morning. Be sure and follow us on Patreon for exclusive gear and uncut episodes. Check out the latest science articles on our Facebook page and subscribe to us on YouTube and your favorite podcast listening app. You can also listen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time at BigBenRadio.com. And if you got a question, we'll join the discussion. Hit the hotline at 432-217-1983 and record your message. We couldn't do this without you, and thank you so much for listening each and every week. That's Science Nights in the morning with a K, and we'll see you next time.